0: Here's my conversation with Scott Moss. Scott is a senior software engineer at Netflix. Previously, he was the CEO and co-founder of Type and One Speed. He's known in the JavaScript community for his contributions to Angular, including open source projects, conference talks, and courses. Scott and I talk about learning how to code, getting your first developer role, and how to succeed in a job interview. We also talk about leveling up as a developer, what it takes to become a senior engineer, and what to keep in mind if you're a developer interested in building a startup. I learned so much from this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Scott, thanks so much for talking to me. I really appreciate your time.
1: Well, I appreciate the invite, Madison. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast. I heard some of the episodes, so uh, I'm pretty excited to be here.
0: Thanks. I really appreciate that. I feel like I've been following you for forever. I've I've been taking your front-end master's classes for years. And then I know you just started your YouTube channel, which is a really awesome channel too. It has so much helpful advice on it. And it's very real because I feel like I listen to, like, I'm always on YouTube and I'm always reading advice for coding. And I think there's just a lot of fluff out there. And I love that your channel has just really honest, real advice about putting in the work and your tips.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, my perspective, you know, coming into this industry, it has been very much like you said, like this, there's just so much fluff out there and like trying to find some practical advice is is always tough and it's like, how do I decipher what these people are actually saying? So, you know, looking back and I consider myself as someone that has had some type of success. I'm like, all right, well, there's gotta be tons of people out there that are also striving for some success. So maybe I'll just give them some hands-on advice and and not hold back because like, why not? Like, why not help everyone and and, and stop beating around the bush and just tell everyone how it is?
0: Absolutely. I appreciate that you give like the real honest advice because I, th- I think people are worried about giving some of that advice because it's not going to be easy advice to follow and also don't always want to hear it. I know, like in some of your videos, you talk about how we just kind of have to really put in the work a lot of the times. And I think it's, it's not always the most fun advice to hear, but it's definitely uh, real and, and true.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not fun, but y- I want to prepare people for it because I've seen so many people drop off on this journey because the journey is a completely different experience than the advice that they heard going into it. And, and then that's when they tell themselves that they're you know, not cut out for this. And it's just like, ah, that's just unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I think that is very true. And there's a lot of people who drop off pretty quickly, which is definitely unfortunate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I really wanna start at the beginning of your journey and ask you how you first got interested in coding.
1: I think, let me see. It has to go back to when I was in the Navy um, in 2011, around that time, um, I knew at that moment I didn't want to stay in the Navy. Um, I think I had about two or three more years on my contract. And uh, you know, the Navy, the Navy is one of those places, or at least back then where it's like, I love the work that I did. I worked on helicopters, that was really cool. Um, but the politics and the processes and the, the people and the attitudes really kind of got in the way and it, it made me realize that I, I wanted to work for a company or work with people that actually respected me. And, you know, I was going to have fun and I wasn't going to work 36 hour shifts and things like that. So honestly, I remember just being at work uh, at the Navy where I could I, I couldn't even sit down on the a, on a chair. They wouldn't even let me. I had to stand up and do it. Um, and I was just getting on Google and I was like, what are some of the happiest jobs in the world? And consistently, software engineering was on top of that list. Um, so I remember just going home and just researching that. And seeing what companies were hiring for it and then I was like okay I think I want to be a software engineer so I knew I wanted to do that before I even knew what coding was you know I just wanted that lifestyle and those job opportunities um and then when I got into actually writing the code uh I think my first introduction was I think like I bought a java book from like uh borders or barnes and nobles or something like that and tried to make an android app and um that was a mistake that was so hard uh, to do uh, but it didn't discourage me i was just like okay maybe there's so many other languages there's so many other books there's so many other approaches so i bought another book in like ruby or something like that and and that one stuck i did that one and i was like all right i'm hooked and since then i knew i wanted to do it
0: did you ever consider going back for a computer science degree like when you were doing this learning
1: I, I did consider getting a computer science degree right before I started taking it seriously. Um, and I think that was because two reasons. One, every job posting says, we want someone with a BS in computer science. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> right? And then two, at that time, like 2012, 2013, were there really any other options? You know, like it was like you read a book or you... Or you go to school like that's really it there was really not a lot of stuff going on back then a lot of well-known alternatives that you could have taken or at least ones that seemed legit back then so it was just like well yeah it's a no-brainer i'll go get a computer science degree you know i have a gi bill the military will pay for it why not um but after spending four and a half years in the military you know at this point i have a son you know i I was just like I, i just don't have the patience to sit down for another four years with some high school kids to get this degree, like there's got to be another way. So I just decided not to, and I don't think I'll ever go get a degree.
0: My sister, she went to a coding bootcamp and I think it was in 2013 as well, or 14. But I remember back then, no one had heard of them. They weren't even a thing and they were treated as very sketchy too. It was almost like you're going to Donald Trump University. Like everyone was like, this is not legit. <laughs> like you're never going to um, learn to like learn to code this way. And it's so interesting how, you know, now it's so much more accepted, but back then um, wasn't the case. Yeah. I think they're just so rare.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was a real, it was a real sketch back then. You know, I was just like, oh, what is this? What are you guys doing? Um, <laughs> but I remember driving up to the boot camp I went to from San Diego to San Francisco. And I saw it in person. And that's when I knew it was real. I was like, okay, I want to be part of this environment.
0: So from there, you pretty much you, you decided to go to a boot camp. And then was it a just a three-month boot camp or was it a longer one?
1: Yeah, it was a three-month boot camp. Um, I actually applied to one of them, I forgot the name of it, but it was like the first one I ever made, and I got rejected. They were just like, Nope, you're not good enough. And I was just like, Okay, cool, I guess I'll just get better. Um, and then I found another one and applied to that one, and then also got rejected. And uh, but they were really cool about it. They were just like, "Yeah, we like you. Uh, you just technically were not there. Try again in six months." And I was like, um, "No, I have to try again in two weeks because I don't have a lot of time. I'm getting out soon. And why not?" So they let me do it. Uh, but they told me if I failed, I, would go, I was going to have to try again in a year. So I remember just like studying, studying, studying like crazy. And then in two weeks later, I passed and got accepted.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what was your boot camp experience like? Uh, one thing you said on your YouTube channel, uh, which really stuck with me, is I believe you said that your boot camp was harder than your Navy boot camp. I um, hope I'm not <laughs> butchering that name. <laughs> Can you talk more on that?
1: <laughs> yeah, to me, it, it, it did feel that way um, because the Navy boot camp was actually and I don't want to I'm going to say this but it's going to make it sound like Navy boot camp was easy because it wasn't. But to me, it was more like a getaway because my life before that was just full of poverty and trauma that the Navy boot camp felt like a, a vacation. Almost. It was just like, you know, we got bed, we got food, exercise, clean clothes. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm not getting evicted. Like it felt amazing just to have some stability and a schedule, which is what I always wanted. And then when I went to the coding boot camp, okay, yeah, that was tough because I was homeless. I was in a city, a new city for the first time in my life. Um, I was away from my son at that point. That was mentally getting to me. And then you're constantly being challenged with like some of the most difficult topics in the world and you're supposed to like solve them. And it was just like so much, so many first times at one time that made it so difficult. That it really made you doubt yourself. And uh, yeah, it was it was really tough. And you know, you don't have like a drill instructor there, like forcing you to do it. What you do in boot camp, it's more like you know they're just encouraging you to find the confidence within yourself to keep pushing. And and that was really hard to do.
0: I think there's probably a lot of people listening who might be in a boot camp too right now, and it does sound really grueling. Uh, what do yeah. you think? Can you think of anything that helped you get through?
1: I remember the turning point for me where I went from, I don't know if I can do this, this is terrible, this is hard to where I felt like, oh yeah, I can do this. And it was simply talking to everyone in my, in my, uh, in my class, especially the ones who I thought were really talented and hearing how bad they were struggling too. It, it was that, simply just talking with them and we were all candid about like how hard this is, how we all wanna quit, how we're all doubting ourselves, how we all think this is a scam. And that was like, oh, we're all the same. You know, I I thought you were, you know, such a genius at this because you're, you know, you're a Ph.D. in neuroscience. I thought that you would just know this. And he's like, no, I don't know this. I'm struggling. I'm trying to copy your stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. well, I'm not the guy to copy. Uh, So it, it was just that moment right there made me realize that, oh, this is just the process and you have to be okay with that process. And with with any skill, eventually you will like develop into it and it will become permanent and you'll get better.
0: I think that's one of the reasons why your story and all of your new YouTube videos are really personally inspiring to me because I kind of look at where you're at and I think, could I ever really get there? And then you're so open about like all of these struggles that you've had to overcome and, you know, things like getting rejected from the boot camp and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's you know, I look at where I am now and where I was and it's like, you know, I didn't plan on getting here. It's, it's just, I ended up here, you know, I just faced one struggle after another uh, with the open mind and with the excitement and somehow you make it through. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe I was able to accomplish that. That seems kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. I want to shift to talking about getting your first developer job. Can you talk about what it was like to get your first job and advice you have for the people who are kind of going through that struggle right now.
1: Yeah. So my experience getting a first job is definitely different than I would say 99% of people. And, and I, and I was always thinking about like, why, why was my experience so different than everyone else? So when it came time for me to get a job. Um, so after I graduated bootcamp, they actually offered me like a internship type role for like three months And I basically like handled all the incoming applications for students and I did all the interviews, I like redid the interview process, like I I managed all of that. So like I got into like teaching and and communicating effectively and things like that. So I think that really gave me a leg up uh, when it came to like getting a job, because at that point, you know, I've already done like 100 interviews with potential students. And I'm also building software on the side for the boot camp. And then I'm also like building curriculum and teaching it. So I was doing all of this before I had my first job. And I think it really gave me the soft skills that I needed to when I finally went to go apply for jobs. Um, I remember the first companies I applied for were like Pinterest and Uber and like some other data company. I forgot the name of it. They might have got bought out by now. And you know, for me, yes, the interview process was a struggle. They all asked me questions I did not know the answer to, like very math heavy, very data structure, algorithm heavy. And those are definitely not my strong point, but somehow using what I learned from having all those interviews with those potential students on the other side, I I was able to impress them enough, show them enough value to where they offered me a job. I was able to get a job offer from all the companies that I interviewed from. And although it was very hard, I just remember thinking like, you know, why me? Like, what did I do? Because a lot of my classmates were really struggling to to even get interviews. And when they got them, they would panic and they would bomb and and they would be discouraged and demoralized to even continue. Whereas that experience wasn't the same for me. And I remember just going back to Hack Director to help, uh, to ask for help for negotiation. And then that's when they were like, whoa, what if we just offered you a job? So they just beat all the offers that I had and just offered me a job. And then I stayed there for another year. That is so cool. Yeah, it was just a crazy experience. I, I still remember the interview I had at Uber, and it was honestly probably the hardest interview I've ever had in my life. And I just remember thinking in my head why they were asking these questions on a whiteboard, like, there's just no way they're going to offer me a job. I'm totally bombing <laughs> this stuff. I don't think I got one answer right. I, I ran out of time on every, every question, but they still offered me a job.
0: That is really interesting. I feel like I've been in that situation where It's only maybe a few questions in and I know I have like a three hour interview ahead and I'm in the beginning. I'm like, I'm bombing and I don't think they're going to offer. In that case, they didn't actually offer it to me, but it's interesting that, you know, maybe you'll surprise yourself. Like you're, you probably didn't do as bad as you thought in that case.
1: Yeah, I guess not. You know, looking back, knowing what I know now, uh, you know, interviews are always about signaling. It's always about showing the interviewer something valuable about yourself and answering the question is just one signal. But there's many other ways to give that signal. And I, I think I was able to give that signal in many other ways, uh, significantly more than, you know, failing to answer the question.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you ever get nervous in interviews?
1: Uh, it's hard to say, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if I did nothing to combat the nervousness, yes, I would get nervous. But I anticipate myself getting nervous. And what I like to do is I like to like over exaggerate. I like to basically take my personality and turn it up to like 20, um, <laughs> you know, to the point where it's just like unsustainable. And like it's just like if you were to hang around with me. If we, if we all went out to lunch and I was that person, you would, want, you would not want to hang out around me. <laughs> <laughs> but like in the interview setting, it's perfect, right? It's, it's like I'm a caricature uh, and that I think helps me not to be nervous because I stopped taking myself so seriously. You know, it, it's almost like doing like an improv class. If you've ever taken like an acting improv class where you're just sitting up there and you get a prompt and you just got to act it out. That's kind of how I treat the interview. So I'm just having fun with it. And I try not to get in my head. I'm not thinking about what the audience thinks of me. And I'm just, I'm just here for me. I'm trying to have fun.
0: I feel like in the times that I've tried to do that, I'm just like, I'm not going to take this seriously. Kind of, those are the times when I have, yeah, I've really combated my nerves, like you said. And, and then it becomes so much more fun. And in those situations, I've actually realized, I remember I was interviewing and the interviewer, I looked down and his leg was like bopping up and down uncontrollably. And I realized the key was nervous too. And that actually made my nerves go away. I was like, oh, I can, I can just have fun. Like they're also incredibly nervous. And for some reason that made me yeah. completely calm down. Like I was like, whew.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're humans and they get nervous too. They're like, oh, I don't wanna sound stupid and ask a stupid question. You know, like they, <laughs> they're trying to figure it out as well. So like, yeah, it's, it's, we're all humans interacting with each other. And I think sometimes it's, it's easy to, to forget that.
0: Yeah, definitely. You made a really great video on things you wish you knew when you were first learning how to code. And I'd love for you to kind of go over what a few of those things are.
1: Well, everything that was in that video is just what I could fit, but there's so many other things (laughs) that I wish I knew when I was learning to code. But I would say that one of the biggest ones is is definitely just, and I tell people this all the time, um, like you really have to be okay with feeling stupid um, when you're learning to code especially when you're learning to code. And, you know, I think about this all the time and I'm always thinking like, how can I like phrase this in a way that makes sense to people? Because even when I tell them they still don't do it. Um, and I think the best way I can describe it is like learning to code, it, it, it is not, it's not a fact. It's not something that you can read in a book and then you remember it. And then now you know it and you can recite it. No, you know, learning to code is a skill and like any other skill, you don't actually get good at it unless you have thousands Hundreds of thousands of reps into that skill, just like dribbling a basketball or, you know, painting something or, or cooking like it's a skill. You have to do it over and over and over again in order for you to be somewhat decent at it. But people go into learning to code as like, like it's a fact, like it's something that you can read and remember. And if you don't get it the first time you read it, oh, you're just stupid and you'll never get it. And I'm just like, that. (laughs) it just doesn't work that way. Like, there's no way I would ever expect to pick up a football and and be like the number one quarterback in the world. Like, it just doesn't work that way. You have to practice. And people give up way before they practice uh, enough because they always tell themselves that, oh, well, I read this lesson on code academy and I just got stuck on it for an hour. So I guess I'm just not made out for this. I'm like, you got stuck on it for an hour and you kept at it. It sounds like you are made out for this. Like you should have kept going or you should have asked for help. Like that's, that's kind of crazy. Like you were doing really good. So, uh, yeah, but I didn't know that going into it. I, I, you know, coming from the military where we like, I mean, I learned to take a helicopter apart and put it back together in three weeks. Like I'm so used to that pace And then coming into coding and it's just like, uh, I've been looking at this for a month and I still don't really understand what callbacks are. This is kind of hard. Maybe I'm not meant for this, but I had to just let that part go and realize that, like, that's just the process and you just need more reps. And then eventually it'll come to you. You know, your, your neurons need to develop those paths, which, you know, develop muscle memory. And eventually you'll just know it. You know, you might not remember it, but you'll know it when you start doing it. And that took a while for me to, to understand. So that's probably the, the biggest thing, the biggest piece of advice right now for me.
0: Yeah, and you made such a good point about how when you're in school, you, you, know, you study up and you kind of know what's gonna be on the test next day, the next day. Mm-hmm. And then you take it and you pass and you move on. But you're talking about how when you're coding, you're gonna get a new ticket or a task and you have no idea how to do it. And you shouldn't necessarily think, oh, I'm a bad programmer because of that. But that's actually part of the job.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely part of the job. And, and that's so foreign to people, whereas like most jobs is like, oh, we hired you and you don't know how to do your job. Oh, you're out of here. Or, you know, like m- most people fear not being able to do their job because the expectation from their management is that you know how to do your job. Um, whereas the engineer, I think the description of how, you know, what to do on your job or how do you know what to do in your job? People think it's like you just know how to code and you know how to do this stuff. But an engineer, an engineer who knows how to do their job is someone that could figure something out. Like you're literally getting paid to problem solve. That means you're going to get a problem that you don't initially know the answer to. That's part of the job. That's not like unique to you as an engineer who, you you know, you might find yourself to be incompetent. No, that's every engineer on the planet. The job is to problem solve. And you're just not going to know what you're doing initially. And then eventually you will.
0: The first junior developer job for me was super hard. And I think for a lot of people, it's really hard. And related to your point about problem solving, you talked in one of your videos about how if you're new or even if you're not new and you're on a team and you're stuck, then you should communicate that. And you should say, you know, I'm stuck or I need help. I don't know how to solve this problem in a certain way. And um, I really appreciate that because I remember at my first developer job, I couldn't figure out so many things, but I, I wanted to kind of save face. Like I didn't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. And this ended up me working until like 3am on my own, like being way too proud multiple times um, to not ask for help. And I wish that I would have.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's that's horrible. I can't, I can't imagine going through that and like what that would do for your confidence and and your morale. But yeah, you you absolutely want to ask for help because at the end of the day, it's all about output and uh, your customers and users don't care that, oh, I'm not going to use this app because the person who wrote it Googled half the answer. It's like, oh, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So like, yeah, definitely ask for help.
0: Yeah, definitely. On that topic, you have talked kind of about how one thing that helped you was you said you were going to kind of surround yourself with people who have more experience than you and then learn from them. And I want to ask for people who are kind of newer, how do we do this? How do we start finding ways to surround ourselves with people who have much more experience than us?
1: Yeah. So the that I took would be Somewhat different than what people have to do now, especially with everything being remote and COVID and Zoom and everything. Um, but for me, you know, when I, when I was learning to code, I was in San Francisco. I mean, you couldn't go to a coffee shop without bumping into a software engineer or a CTO or entrepreneur or something like that. Uh, so for me, it was really easy. I would just approach people. I'd walk up to them. I'll let them know what I'm working on, which is similar to what they're working on. And hey, we should work on something together. Or here's this thing. Or I got a quick question for you. And I would just do that. Some people will respond. Some people will follow up. Some wouldn't. The ones that did, I found out that we had a lot in common and we just talked a lot. Uh, And I solicited advice from them. They helped me out. And I was able to grow that way. Um, Looking now how you would do it. And I think, you know, I had to help my sister who actually just broke into tech as a product manager uh, coming from a professional basketball player. And I watched her build her network and how she was able to do it. And for her, it was, I mean, it was basically the same thing I did, but just like all online or virtually. So what she would do is she would basically, everything's, you know, is goal-driven from trying to get a job. So she would find the jobs that she wants to work at, and then she would find the people who worked at those jobs. And then she would basically reach out to them on any platform that she could find them, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever, and just, you know, express her interest in working there, a little bit about her background. And something that her and that other individual have in common, you know, maybe she saw that they both like cats on Twitter. Maybe she saw that they both were collegiate athletes. Whatever it is, she would try to bring that up, and you'd be surprised, especially at a time like this where you know a lot of people just aren't, you know, hanging out. There's not a social things going on. People would stay in touch, and they would talk, and from there you can start to benefit from the advice that they have and the experience that they have. And at the end of the day, she was able to get a job a couple months later uh, after starting that process due to the relationships that she built.
0: I think I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about how, so you haven't just been a a software developer, you've also started multiple companies. And I know I have like a lot of developer friends who are working on a side project on the weekends um, or something that they're thinking of taking full time. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what would your advice be to developers who maybe they have an idea and they're thinking about, should I kind of switch and and start a startup?
1: Mm, Yeah. So before I actually started a company that made any money, I too was a developer working on stuff on the side. Um, I would say after I got my first job, I would go home and I would just build stuff. I would have all these ideas, I would make them. I would partner with other entrepreneurs that needed someone technical. I mean, I think I worked on maybe, I don't know, eight to 10 different companies within that one year of of just trying to get something out and nothing came from it, uh, entrepreneurially speaking. Obviously I leveled up technically and I give a lot of credit to that year for the skills that I have now as an engineer, but as far as an entrepreneur side, nothing came from it. I don't think I learned anything. Uh, I, I didn't benefit from it at all. And it wasn't until opportunity uh, met with the idea that I have, right? Because at the end of the day, if all you have is an idea, you don't really have much, unfortunately, because ideas don't really amount to anything. You know, you know, the, the market always wins. You have to have some opportunity come in your way. And hopefully, maybe your idea matches with that opportunity, but probably unlikely. You're, you know, you're more you're better off looking for opportunities and problems to solve, um, versus trying to put an idea out into the world and find a problem that matches it. It's a lot more difficult that way. Uh, So for anyone out there that's trying to get into, you know, a startup and they're doing something on the side, well, hopefully it's because you identified a really big problem uh, that can be filled by the skills that you have by building something. And hopefully you can test what you're making, but people who have that problem before you get it out there to the whole world, because chances are you're probably going after the right problem, but you have the wrong solution. So test it as much as you can and and get it out there. And for me, when I started doing that, that's when things started to click. That's when I realized that like, oh, okay, like just find people who are complaining about stuff and can't do anything about it and make something for them. And and that's basically it.
0: Yeah, it does seem like there's such a difference between like, oh, this is a cool idea. And then switching to actually, like, what are problems that actually need to be solved?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like, you wouldn't know this, but, like, if you're an engineer at a company, you have a potential goldmine of opportunities and problems. Just go talk to anyone else that's not on your team and listen to them complain about their job and the things that they have to do day to day. And you'd be surprised. There's so many opportunities there for you to come in and be like, oh, I can do this. Like, I can make this happen. Like, oh, that's easy. And we don't do it like, because we're all so tied up in the fact that like we feel like Harry Potter now because we can just make anything with a shake of a, a wand and we just want to put this thing <laughs> out into the world. But forcing someone to use your thing is a lot more complicated than making a thing that people are begging for.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's this one part of a Paul Graham essay that I was reading, and he talks about how when you're solving problems, it's not necessarily the sexiest technical thing to work on. Do you think that is right. true? I could be misquoting, I think that's what he said.
1: Absolutely <laughs> true, 100% true. And that's why we don't do it. That's why we don't <laughs> do it because like the, the problems are boring. I mean, honestly, look, look, at, look at Uber Eats, look at Postmates, look at Grubhub. There's nothing sexy about someone getting in a car and bringing you food. Like, that, that's not that's not an AI car, it's not a Mars Rover. Like, there's nothing <laughs> attractive about that. But yet yeah, these are some of the most successful companies in the world because they solve such a big problem for a lot of people and at the end of the day that's what it's about so and unless you're building some type of hard tech like i don't know smart street lights or whatever like chances are uh you need to go find some problems
0: absolutely it makes me think of airbnb too where i feel like they have such a cool engineering team and I'm, i know they have cool problems to work on but at first Glance, thinking like you're putting people into other people's homes it doesn't seem like the the sexiest technical. <laughs> yeah,
1: Come Craigslist does this. What are you talking <laughs> about? You know, like yeah. yeah, but you know they they saw the problem, they saw it, and they carved it out.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I want to kind of switch to talking about um, your current role. So you're currently a senior software engineer at Netflix. I think one of the many reasons that your story is inspiring is that you went from, you know, teaching yourself to code to working at a company like Netflix. And I want to ask you, for those who want to follow in your footsteps, what are some of the things you might suggest?
1: You know, I'd be lying to say if this was always my goal was to work at a Netflix-like company. Like, it, it wasn't. It really wasn't. I've, I've never had, and I still to this day, don't set, like, professional goals. And I know that sounds weird, but I don't. I don't say that, like, I want to work at this company or I want to have this label or or that type of thing. Like, I, I just don't. I don't think that way because I think when you start to do that, you are going to be closed off to so many potential opportunities that could actually get you to where you want to be um, simply because you're focused on going to this one place and having this one title and this one thing. So I've, I've never looked at it that way. And instead, I've always tried to go after, like, lifestyle goals, like, I want to be able to own a home. I want to be able to uh, help my family out. I want to be able to buy a Tesla. You know, I want to be able to travel wherever I want to travel. And for me, it was always like that. And then whatever opportunities came passing me over that allowed me to live that lifestyle, I would then go entertain those opportunities. So and that's just the path that I've always taken. So if I'm looking back, like how I was able to get here, it was just staying true to that lifestyle goal, like, and, and then like updating it every year, like every time, I take advantage of some opportunity, I would have to, like, okay, you are now where you want to be lifestyle-wise. Are you content? Can you stay here? Is this good? Or do you want to also change your lifestyle? Is there more? And for me, there was always more. I always wanted to update my lifestyle because I'm one of those people where if I don't see a ceiling, I'm just going to keep going. You know, And and I didn't see a ceiling and I still don't see one. So I was like, yeah, I, I want to change my lifestyle again. I want to be able to retire my mom. I want to be able to help people out on a bigger scale. So yeah, I need to change my lifestyle. So now I'm looking at more opportunities as they come my way. And in order to take advantage of those opportunities, I knew I had to level up. You know, like when I went from working at Hacker as an engineer to working at Udacity as like a lead engineer, I had to level up there. I was no longer part of a team um, that was basically telling me what to do. Now I was actually part of a team where I was helping people figure out what to do. Mm And I actually, I think I got hired there like as a growth engineer or something like that at first. But regardless, it was a big role for me. But I needed that opportunity because it was going to help me uh, buy a house and actually move out of the Bay to Sacramento where I could like live a little better with my son. And that's what I was focused on. I really wasn't focused on the job, um, but I had to get good at it. So from there, I just did everything that I needed to do to actually satisfy that role. And I knew what I needed to be satisfied because I talked to the people at the company It's like, well, this is what we're looking for, for the role. We need someone who can do this. We need someone who can do that. I'm like, okay, I'll go learn that because I need this lifestyle. And I basically just did that on repeat, whether it was starting a company, whether it was getting a job at Netflix, it was like, I'm specifically choosing this because I believe that this path is gonna give me the lifestyle that I want. And here's a list of things that I need to do in order to like satisfy uh, this opportunity.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a much healthier and happier way to have goals because I know I have friends where they're set on this one company and then they they get rejected and it's just, yeah, it's not a great experience when you have your eyes set on just this one thing, but also to your point, you might be closed off to all these other opportunities that could have been even, an even better fit for you, but you just felt very closed off to them. I love what you said about leveling up too. What is your other advice for kind of leveling up as a developer? I, I feel like I'm turning this into a a mentor session now, Um, (laughs) but I know for me personally, I really do want to level up and I think the main thing I try to do is just, I try to build just fun, random side projects, but um, are there other things you would suggest for just leveling up as a developer? I know you already touched on some really good ones.
1: Yeah. uh, So building projects is, is good, but only if they're challenging. Right. If you're building projects that like once you start working, on it, it's pretty comfortable and it's just like, yeah, I can I can finish this. Then you're defeating the purpose. It's like going into the gym and not sweating and not doing anything. You're just there to what I don't know, show face like you really need to be like exhausted mentally when you're building these applications to the point where like you don't know if you can get it done. Every single one of those projects you work on. So you have to push yourself that way. So that's one thing. The other thing is like, you can only go so far by building stuff. At one point you have to start thinking more high level and like, well, right now I'm at the point where I could build something if I had like some things set out for me and some, some of the things solved for me. But at some point I'm going to have to be the one that's solving those problems ahead of time. So that, that way someone else can go build it later and, you know, architectural things, high level things, like all the moving parts and pieces, you're going to have to start solving for that. And you don't need to wait for your company to tell you, you know, to instruct you to do that or give you a raise. Like you can do that now. Like you can literally sit down right now. I'm like, all right, I want to figure out the architecture behind zoom. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out how they scale zoom and you just Google your research, you ask questions, and eventually you'll understand the moving pieces and then you'll understand like why they have a queuing system, why they chose AWS over this, why this database and not that database. And you'll start to understand the trade-offs and the pros and cons and like why everything is not so black and white. Like, well, it's either this or it's that. Like, no, it's like we could use anything, but we chose this because the trade-offs of this is you know, better than this one. And just having that level of detail and that like those opinions are, is what's really going to level you up. Because like, once you get to the senior level, everyone can write code. Like, it doesn't matter if like you can write code faster or better, or your typing skills are faster or better. We all can do this at this point. So what sets us apart Uh, well, we're able to just be self starters, we're able to like take any complicated problem that would probably freak someone else out, and come up with some type of solution, whether it has trade offs or not, uh, given a set amount of time, and we can do that consistently. And we have a process that works for us. So like, you really got to get to that point where like, that's just, that's just normal, like you're a detective, you really are okay with just finding all the clues and figuring everything out. And that's just your normal process. And writing the code is just an abstraction. It's implementation detail that you don't concern yourself about. Uh, Whereas whereas I think like junior to mid-level, they're really focused on writing the code and how the code's going to look and how it's going to feel. I can't, like, I cannot tell you the last time I thought about what my code was going to look like. Like, I just don't (laughs) even care about it. You know, like, I'm so high level that when I get to the code, it's just like, it's like writing a sentence. I don't have to think about it, you know, because all the, the hard work is done. Uh, so like, yeah, it's, it's getting to that point.
0: Yeah, that is so interesting. And I know you touch on this in this great video you made about becoming a senior engineer. And I want to link to that too. It's such a great video. And this is totally not what I used to think at all. Like I used to think if I want to become a senior engineer, I'm going to have to get really, really good at coding. And that's just the thing that will get you there. And it's a lot more about these other things like actually figuring out the business's goals. And um, mm-hmm. I know you said too, like taking on responsibility. And so it's really made me realize that just, you know, staying in my own lane and becoming a really good programmer is not what's gonna get me there.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, chances are, if you've been working with a specific language of technology for two to three years, technically speaking, you're probably more than skilled enough to be a senior engineer. So if you're not, there's really only two reasons why you haven't went after that role or two, you're missing all the other stuff that I just talked about.
0: Something else I wanted to talk about is I really want to have a long career like you. And I think I worry because a lot of developers talk about burnout and how they just didn't even want to code anymore over time. And so I'd love to ask you about burnout and have you experienced it? And like what are some ways that you've maybe dealt with burnout?
1: Yes, just like any engineer, uh, I have experienced burnout. I am not a robot. So yeah, I've, I've experienced <laughs> that, but it's usually temporary and short lived. Um, and I know when it's coming. And in fact, like I'm like, I wouldn't even say like I'm purposely like going towards the burnout. Like I know what my limits are, but it's usually it's, it's a risk. It's a sacrifice of like, I know I'm gonna be burnt out, but at the same time, I know that this is what I have to do in order to accomplish this thing that has to be done. So it's, it's a trade off, it's a risk. You know, and and that's why you have unlimited vacation at a lot of these companies, so you can take time off. Um, But like I, I have not reached a point where like I'm just burnt out from the whole, you know, community, from the whole process, from the whole industry, from the whole, you know, task of being a software engineer. Like, no, because I'm a technological enthusiast and I just like new technology no matter what it is. And there's no short of new technology yet. Like, in fact, it's only getting crazier and better and thinner and smaller. And like, that's just really interesting to me. So there's always something for me to be excited about. Um, I think what happens is people like to substitute the word burnout from this job and stuff to actually just being content. Um, They're just really content to where they are. And like, you could tell, like, if you go work at like a different, um, I don't know, like a different community. Like for instance, if you go to the Bay area, you see people just doing this stuff forever. Whereas if you go somewhere like Atlanta, which actually has a nice tech scene, it's a little different. The mentalities are a little different. Everyone seems and will say that they're burnt out. They've been doing it for 20 years, but turns Mm -hmm. out that like, they've been doing the same thing for 20 years. They haven't had, you know, the willingness or the motivation to learn something new or try something new or do this or do that. They're just been writing the same PHP for 20 years. Yeah, I think I would be, burnt out of my job too, if I did that, and I probably wouldn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Like you have to switch it up. You know, you got to try new things. You know, all that stuff starts to eat to you. You know, you feel left behind. You got these younger folks coming in, they're doing better than you. Well, what's stopping you from staying up to date and also learning too? Um, So I think a lot of it is that. It's like, I'm always just on the bleeding edge, looking at what's next. I'm contributing to what's next. I'm talking to the people that's creating what's next. And that to me is just so exciting. And the fact that I'm still able to be part of it somehow is, is also very exciting. So yeah, to me, it all still feel, it feels like magic and that hasn't worn out for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's such a great point where a lot of people, maybe they get comfortable like building this one thing and react and they do it over and over again. And to your point, like, of course, you're going to feel very burnt out from that. You need something new or different that's exciting.
1: Yeah, you, you yeah. absolutely I don't know. I mean, I couldn't eat the same bowl of cereal every day. I got to switch it up so yeah that's that's really it
0: yeah yeah it can get very repetitive I want to talk to you about your front-end master's teaching you have so many great courses on there and I want to ask about how did you get started with teaching
1: I got teaching I first started teaching when I was actually working at the boot camp um, right where yeah, we had, we had an instructor. Back then, Angular 1 was like the hotness, right? There was Backbone and then there was Angular 1 and there was nothing else. And uh, we had an Angular 1 instructor who was a very famous, very well-known guy. He wrote a book on Angular and uh, he just stopped coming. He didn't want to teach anymore. So, But he was the only one that knew Angular at that whole company and it was part of the curriculum. So they're like, who's going to teach? And just so happens, he took me underneath his wing before he left because I approached him. I was like, "Hey, show me the ropes, man. I want to. I want to know what you know. You're like magical." So I was like the next best thing of, of someone who knew Angular. So they kind of just threw me in there. I was like, "All right, you teach. You teach Angular now." <laughs> and that was like my first introduction to like teaching, and uh, I loved it. You know, I really loved teaching because it forced me to really understand you know, everything inside out. You know, I remember at one point I like rebuilt Angular from scratch to really understand how it worked. That way I wouldn't sound silly when I were like talking to the students and they asked tough questions. I wouldn't be like, oh, we'll we'll look it up together. Like I just, I wanted to feel comfortable about that then. um, And that really leveled me up. So once I like had a taste of that and I was, you know, I realized that, like, maybe there's a lot of value out here for me as a teacher, because I do get to learn more. And obviously, I'm creating value for individuals who are learning for me. You know, I want to do more of that. Um, so I was on Twitter one day and I don't remember the exact tweet, but the CEO of Frontend Masters, Mark, who's like such a good friend of mine now. He said something about like he was looking for instructors or, or this or that. And I was like, hey, I saw the tweet that you said um, I want to teach. And he was like, oh, okay, uh, what type of experience do you have? You know, What have you done, this or that? And I was just like, um, nothing yet. And he was like, well, I need to see that you've done something. So I was like, okay. So I was like, all right, I gotta prove to him that I can do this. So my next bet was like, I'll just speak at a conference. You know, that's what I'll do. Um, so uh, I was on Twitter again and I found this guy named Aaron Frost who's also a good friend of mine now who puts on uh, like all these JavaScript conferences and like ng-conf and all these things. And he sent a tweet out and was like, hey, we want to, he's like, I have a talk idea for NGConf, but I can't give it because I'm actually the coordinator. I'm the organizer mm-hmm. of the conference. So if anyone wants to apply to give a talk and doesn't have an idea, let me know. So I'm idea, and I was like, yo, I saw your tweet. Uh, I want to give a talk. I don't have a good idea. This is my first time. Like I'm literally just got a job like three or four months ago. Um, can I do it? He was just like, hell yeah. So like <laughs> we talked. He gave me the idea. We went over it. I pitched it. I got accepted to give the talk, um, and then I gave the talk. And then once they recorded it, I sent it over to Mark. I was like, "Here's some proof. Here's how I am on stage. Here's how I interact with people." And Mark was like, "Oh yeah, you seem pretty legit. You seem comfortable up there. Yeah, let's get you in. Let's let's get you a course." So then I was able to teach a course, and from there, uh, he really liked the format that I taught uh, at the time, where like I like had tests that people had to pass and just like how laid back I was about things. And like, I I didn't really like to use like slide decks and stuff like that. I was just kind of, let's go up here and live coded. And if I make a mistake, i make a mistake, whatever. And uh, that really resonated a a lot better with the students uh, to like make them feel that like I'm also human and I make mistakes and that there's value in watching someone get past a blocker like that. And from there, it was like, yeah, you should come back and teach whenever you want. And that's what I've been doing.
0: My takeaway from that too is, so the ceo of front-end masters he kind of wanted to see proof and so you can start teaching now like maybe if someone has the goal of becoming a front-end masters teacher someday um you don't have to ask someone's permission you can just go start teaching now and then that proof you can use to actually get the job kind of like doing the job before you get it
1: exactly yeah exactly that's the sweet thing about being an engineer you could do the job before you get it you don't need to be employed somewhere to actually show your value, to to create, to teach. You can do that right now. And that is good enough.
0: Yeah, definitely. One more thing I want to ask you about, you talk about how when you're kind of getting your first job or really at any point, it's good for someone to Google you and actually have you be searchable, right? Um, Writing blog posts or giving conference talks, like you've said. I know a lot of people, when they hear that, I think they think well, I feel too maybe beginner or just, or maybe they're more advanced, but they still feel a bit of imposter syndrome to kind of do those things. What would you say to them? I know I've definitely felt that way at times too. Uh,
1: I would say the best thing I can say is don't be afraid of the fear. Right. And and I'll try to describe that. A lot of people will say, oh, you can't be afraid, you know, or I'm fearless and I'm, I'm not worried about what people think. And I'll just put this stuff out here. No, that's incorrect. People are definitely f- fearful. They're very afraid of what people are gonna say about them and they worry a lot and that usually gets in the way. But if you are afraid of the fear, as in you let the fear control your actions, you know, you let the fear exit your mind and now it's in the real world and it's changing how you behave, then yeah, you lost. Um, because it, it's okay to, to worry about how the world is gonna perceive the, the content that you're putting out there, but it's not okay to let those thoughts prevent you from doing it in the first place. Because I mean, that's always going to be there. People think that there's going to wake up one day and be like, well, I'm just not going to be scared anymore. I'm going to get it out there. No, you're not like you're going to be more terrified later on than you are now. Um, So because you have more time to tell yourself how scary it is. (laughs) And so you don't (laughs) want to do that. Right. You just want to just like I recognize the fear. I recognize that I'm scared. But yeah. So what? And I guess for me, like I'm just so used to getting past that one being in the military, they force that in you to just be like, yeah, I know you're tired. I know you're, you've are you been running 30 miles and, you know, you got sand that's like peeling your skin off or whatever, and you're hungry, but you still gotta do this thing. And you just get used to that. Um, and then also like being a dad, like, you know, having a baby, a newborn yeah. when you're tired and you haven't slept, you're only getting two hours of sleep, but you got your son or your daughter is hungry and you gotta feed them and you gotta change them and you can't negotiate with them. Like you just gotta break through that barrier of, you know, doubt and telling yourself you can't do something for the sake of getting it done. And I think that's something that has helped me. So like, yeah, you can't let the fear get in the way and you just got to do it um, because it's not like you have a million followers. Like this is your first time putting some stuff out there. Who's really going to be out there you know, talking (laughs) crap about you? Like just get it out there. If you get one person commenting on it, that's amazing. So just, just get it out there and and collect feedback and perfect your craft. And it's only going to help you. There's no scenario Unless you're out there putting out hate speech and stuff like that, there's no scenario where this is going to come back and hurt you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like this really relates to your earlier point of if you're an engineer and you're getting a new problem or a ticket and you have no idea how to solve it. And again, like you can feel that fear. It's very scary and shy away from it. Or just like you said, you can get used to it and get comfortable um, feeling that and diving in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I, (laughs) it's at the point where like, we'll be planning sometimes. I was like, I have no idea how to do that. I have no idea how to do that. Don't know what I'm doing there. And it's like, it puts a smile on my face. Cause I know, like I'm at the point where it's like, even though I know I don't know it, I've done this long enough to know that I will know it because this has to get done. There's no ifs, ands and buts about it. This has to get done and I have to do it. So therefore I will know it. And the thought of knowing this later when I don't know it now is exciting to me.
0: Yeah, definitely. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a great conversation and I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think what you're doing here is amazing. And hopefully I was able to add some value to the listeners out there. Um, and yeah, I mean, if I could leave some advice for someone, I would say um, just go and keep practicing. You have to treat this like a skill. You need many reps, so keep practicing. And the quickest way to actually like, get employed in this field it's to just apply early. You know, I think that's very controversial. A lot of people say, well, you gotta wait until you're good And that. Well, if you've been learning the code by yourself, you have no idea when you're good. Um, and even if you did, it's probably a moving target. So you're just like moving, trying to figure out when you're good. You're better off just applying at some place when you can like build something. The moment you can build something, go apply and try to get an interview and let them tell you you're not good. Let them tell you what you're not good at. And then you iterate from there. And that's a much faster approach than you know trying to do it the old way you know it's, it's basically like you can take an open book test and get all the answers and go look them up in the glossary or you can go read every single book ever and then take an exam a year later like i would rather just take the test on day one and fail a couple times and you know look at the glossary versus take the whole course for nine months so that's the approach you probably want to go for
0: yeah, I can't believe how many times I've been in an interview and I feel like I, I saw all my gaps pointed out to me and I would have never got that feedback otherwise.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful process. So yeah, do that.
0: Scott, for those who are listening and they want to connect with you, how can they reach you or where can they go to follow you?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter where, uh, where I'm most responsive um, at uh, Scottups with one T, -T S-C-L-T U-P-S. So you can hit me up on there. A lot of folks DM me and tweet me on there. I've I've found a lot of people that I mentor now that like DM me on there. Uh, Also LinkedIn, just look me up on LinkedIn, Scott Moss. Um, I also respond on DMs there as much as I can. And then if you wanna watch some of my videos, you can subscribe to, or not subscribe, but look at my channel on youtube uh which is just slash scott moss um there's another scott moss on there that i don't know it's like a kid's channel but you'll see me if it's me you'll (laughs) you'll recognize me so but yeah that's pretty much where i'm at all the time
0: great